You're listening to Uniquely Beautiful Stories with Heather McInear, a place for you to find encouragement to fully live your uniquely beautiful life. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Uniquely Beautiful Stories podcast. I'm your host, Heather McInear, and I'm so glad you're tuning in. I want to thank you for joining us here each week as we bring you messages of redemption and beauty from real life stories in hopes that you will find encouragement to go out and fully live your own uniquely beautiful story. Our podcast is brought to you by Cedar Creek Dental Associates. If you live near Oklahoma City and you're looking for quality dental care, be sure to check out their website at okcsmile.com. I promise you'll find an amazing staff, a gorgeous office, and most importantly, excellent dental care to keep you smiling for years to come. Also, if this podcast has been an encouragement to you, it would mean so much to us if you would subscribe, give us a review or a rating, and pass on an episode link to a friend so that she can be encouraged just like hopefully you have. Friends, you're listening to episode 34, and my beautiful guest today is Scotia Moore. She is a wife and mother of 10. Yes, you heard that right, 10 children. And she lives in Oklahoma. She passionately believes that when the body of Christ in Oklahoma City walks in deep unity, we will see the love and power of God poured out on our city in transformative and redemptive ways. And today we are going to talk about some of those ways that we can lean into and walk in that unity. I am so excited for this conversation. Welcome, Scotia. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) This is really fun. Hi. So listeners, we have actually never met in person until right now. Sometimes that happens in my interviews. And this has been a woman that I've really just been looking forward to meeting. Um, I came to know of her from a panel that she was part of, and we'll talk more about that. But just in hearing her share and just the wisdom that she had on that panel, I thought to myself, I've got to get to know this woman. And so I'm really glad that we were able to connect. Me too. I feel like I've already found a soul sister conversation Ah. comes so easily with you. (laughs) So I'm excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way. Um, well, why don't you give our listeners, and really me too, kind of a background, um, where you're from, where you grew up, and just, uh, I know you've got some really, your life is just so interesting to me, so we're going to go a lot of ways today, so I'd <laughs> love for you to paint a picture of where this all started, because you're not from Oklahoma. I'm not. Um, so where did you grow up? How did you meet your husband? Just give us the backstory. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Maryland. I was born in North Carolina, but raised in Maryland. Um, I am... Um, uh, from a home where my parents were divorced. I was raised by my mother, who actually was a police officer for wow. 20 years. And um, along with my brother, uh, I have a great relationship with both of my parents. But growing up, I was not churched. I never read the Bible. It was not the uh, guidepost for our lives. My mm-hmm. mom was in law enforcement. My father was military. Wow. So you know, law and order was kind of the guidepost. Just, you know, don't do anything crazy or illegal, but um, not necessarily based on God's word. And um, so I grew up there in Prince George's County, Maryland. Um, And as a woman of color, I really didn't race and ethnicity was not necessarily something that was, uh, that I thought about a whole Mm -hmm. lot because where I grew up um, was predominantly African-American and um, it is very unique in the whole world because it's the wealthiest, um, predominantly black county in the country. Oh, wow. And so even though we were not of you know great means, I was not um, limited in my perspective mm-hmm. of what I could become or 
you know, what um, my family members could become. So anyway, I grew up in Maryland um, on the East Coast and um, moved to uh, the Midwest, to Kansas City after graduating college because I was in this long distance dating relationship and we were kind of getting serious and we weren't sure where this was going and we had never lived even in the same time zone. Oh, wow. Um, but I actually met my husband originally at um, a conference in okay. Atlanta. Through work um, or for? He was there recruiting staff for um, a summer staff for a ministry that he was working for. Okay. And I was there as a college student. And okay. so we were, we just met and he was telling me about this ministry, which was a camping ministry in Missouri. And um, I had heard very clearly the Lord say, go to California, go to Los Angeles. And so I was looking for a ministry opportunity in L.A., Oh, wow. Um, a couple of years earlier, I had become a Christian my senior year of high school. Okay. Was um, that through um, like a ministry on campus or a friend or what brought you to Jesus? You know, my mom's co-worker, who was also a police officer, a female police officer, invited her to church for years. Okay. And she finally went. And um, by then I was older and um, pretty headstrong, mm -hmm. kind of a wild teenager. And mm -hmm. she didn't try to force me to go. She just started going mm -hmm. and accepted Christ and started making changes in her own life. And so out of my love for her, I just go occasionally. Yeah. But every time I went, I felt like the preacher was talking right at me and I was crying and like, what is, what is this place <laughs> that makes me weep every time yes. I come? Um, and so I met a woman there who invited me to a Bible study at her house for teenagers. And I was like, oh, I'm almost grown. I'm a senior in high school. I don't want to... And who studies a Bible on a Monday night anyway? What is that about? Um, but I went and um, the first time I went, there were several of us. And the second time I was the only one who showed up. And so I had this one-on-one -on -one wow. time with her and she's a lot like I am. Like she shoots it straight and She's very grounded in the word. Mm. And so that night she led me to the Lord wow. through the word of God. And I was like, I have found the treasure and mm. I am willing to sell everything else in order to buy this field mm -hmm. that contains this treasure. And so I like mm. made all these radical changes and in my friendships and yeah. in my language and yeah. in my worldview and everything. Yeah. Um, fast forward a couple of years, this guy is trying to recruit me to work at this camp <laughs> in the middle of the woods. And, and you're, you're thinking L.A., sunshine, palm trees. Yeah, and yeah, or, you know, I'm from the D.C. area, so I'm thinking D.C., New York, um, L.A., somewhere, you know, big yes. and full of concrete, not <laughs> the middle of nowhere in the woods of Missouri. Um, and so... We had pleasant conversation, and I pretty much ran the opposite direction <laughs> fast. Um, like, he's handsome, and he's persuasive, and I know God told me L.A. and not Missouri. Mm. And so we didn't see each other again for over a year, and um, he was living in Missouri, and I was living in Maryland, and I did go to Los Angeles with on a summer project with crew. Um, and then we met again in Maryland through some mutual friends and it was just kind of a God thing. And by then, um, I had more camping experience under my <laughs> belt, thanks to that summer in the San Bernardino mountains with a crew, uh, taking kids up to the mountains and 
So I just prayed. I, I actually delayed praying about going for <laughs> um, a couple of weeks and then out because I was like, oh, I'm afraid God might say go. And it was, it, that's exactly what happened. As soon as I bowed my head to pray, Lord, is it your will for me to, and I, I didn't even finish the sentence. And he said, go. <laughs> so I ended up going and we became friends and got married a couple of years later. And then here we are, 10 children. <laughs> fast ten. forward. Yeah. So fast forward 20 years. Yes. 20 years. But 10 children in 20 years, girl. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Ten, 10 children in 15 years. Our, yeah. our first four were very close together and then um they were every other year oh from there so it was it's been a crazy ride uh, coming from my background I didn't I wasn't aspiring to be married I didn't necessarily dream about being a mother and then um I mean I was a very wild unbeliever yeah and so that transition for me um to come to the place where I am today just shows the grace and the humor of God <laughs> Oh my goodness. So you guys, um, you did the campus, uh, the camping thing together and then you, did you marry in that area or did you guys get to Oklahoma by, by that point? We actually, um, we got married in Tulsa. Okay. Um, I, I lived with another family in Kansas city for a few months while we were, I was doing substitute teaching and he was doing his ministry work and we were like hanging out yeah. <laughs> during our free time, like are we compatible like to spend the rest of our lives together? And, um, and we got engaged a few months. We got married in August at the end of the summer oh my and, goodness. Um, in Tulsa and spent a couple of years there. And that's okay. where we had our first child. Okay. Mm-hmm. And did you guys think right away, like we want to try to have a family right away? And had y'all even talked about, I mean, I feel like most couples talk about, oh, what's your ideal number of kids? Three, four, you know, or did you guys say from the start, like, we love a big family? Like, how did that all unfold? Yeah, some people say that I said I wanted a big family, but I don't believe that. <laughs> I'm, I think you're you're like making that up. But um, we didn't talk a whole lot about that. But we knew that we wanted to wait a couple of years before we had kids. Okay. And um one of the pivotal moments in our lives early marriage was we got, we actually got pregnant on our honeymoon. Oh my goodness. And then two months later, miscarried. Okay. And so that led into like this, we were in a new city and a new marriage and, you know, just like, you know, when you first get married, you're like, there's a man right in the room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this is okay. <laughs> Um, so we were just still at that point of like startling each other when we walk around the corner and then now we're going to be parents. And then we suffered this massive loss. And that Mm. was kind of this shift that took us deep really fast Mm. to, you know, how do you comfort someone who's who's experiencing loss and hormonal changes and physical pain Mm -hmm. and all of that. Um, and then that you've only like been with. For two months. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it was it was a massive shift in our marriage, mm. and um, because it was such a traumatic thing, I kind of shifted into this. I'm not sure I want to have kids at mm. all. Like this was so painful, and I'm not sure I would even want to risk this experience again. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably six or so months later, I was substitute teaching with these itty bitty little sweet 
preschoolers and kindergartners <laughs> and um and I just kind of like tilted my head to the side one day and said, well, they're so cute, maybe. And I mean, I was pregnant instantly. <laughs> <laughs> Your body heard that comment and you were Truly. Really, <laughs> the Lord was like, okay, your heart is ready. Yep. And I've got a plan for you. Yeah. You're not ready to hear the whole plan. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I have a plan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So in the 10, do you have any multiples? Like do you have sets of twins or any triplets or anything in there? I do. I, my oldest two are boys and uh, my children are ages 19 down to five. Okay. And so, um, I have two boys back to back. They're 15 months apart. And I thought, this is great. We're done. I had two (laughs) younger brothers and, um, and I was good. (laughs) We're going to be the four S's, Stefan and Scotia and Stefan the second and strong. And, um, my baby boy was five months old and I realized I was pregnant again and I thought this has got to be a joke there is no way I can survive having Mm -hmm. three children two and under Mm -mm. and um and then we found out it was twins oh my gosh (laughs) so I had four children two and a half and under oh um but when I found out it was twins I just kind of let go like that was step one the first little hint of the importance of um, letting go of the illusion of control mm. and letting God be God. And um, and so that pregnancy was the easiest pregnancy. Really? Those twins went to a day overdue, which I'm told never happens. <gasps> That's what I've been told <laughs> or too. rarely happens. Wow. Um, were they they boys also or girls girls. okay they were six five and six fifteen oh my goodness they're like big babies yes and um so those were my I had two boys and two girls and but watching what God did over the course of that pregnancy I mean our church family came around us and you know they did grocery shopping they Mm. helped clean the house I mean I just felt like I was doing nothing but nursing all day (laughs) long I can imagine. And um, and so that experience really opened my eyes to how generous our Heavenly Father is. Like, He mm. will generously provide for us. And so um, I said, Lord, if this, you know, I'm, I'm not going to take charge of this area. I will trust you. And mm. we felt like that's what he was saying to yes. do. He was commanding us to, to do trust that. Me. But I was, I said, yes. And so um, we had another one every other year. <laughs> For the next, you know, 12 or so years. And ended up with 10 and we're done. We're done. Okay. (laughs) The Lord gave us release and we're done. Okay, good. I mean, it is good when you have that clarity and you're like, okay, we've we've been obedient. We closed that chapter of life. Yes. Now we're we're moving kids into adulthood. so crazy. And I still have a one that's about to start kindergarten. So crazy. It is crazy. How do they, with that span of 19 to 5, you know, how do they get along with one another? Do they all just kind of take care of each other? Do they, because my, what I'm picturing, the perspective I have is I've got siblings and we each have three kids. So when we all get together, there's nine and, you know, they range from a two year old up to my daughter, who's the oldest and she's 17. And so they kind of take turns who they're hanging out with, you know, they'll have like the ones that are similar in age will start out hanging out together and then they'll just kind of move, you know, throughout. And it's always fun to watch like, Oh, those two are over there playing and, and then looking out for each other, you know, but also I have 
three kids, and I know that it's not right. It's, <laughs> always, people are not always getting along, so I don't have any fairy tales about that. But not, not yeah, what all. is that dynamic like? Yeah, our um, we have a friend who has said your family is like a microcosm of society, <laughs> and I really think when he said that, it struck me with mm. weight, and I was like, I think he's right. Like mm. we have all these different personalities and talents and a whole bunch of them think they're firstborns, even though <laughs> only one is actually a firstborn. Well, That's I guess a firstborn son and a firstborn daughter. But, yes. I mean, it is like we have a household of eagle type personalities really? and um, just a couple that are like, you know, go with the flow and relax. But the majority of us are pretty uh, strong. I like to say. Yes. And, um, and, Early on, when the the bigs, uh-huh. the oldest five, were younger, a little bit younger, we buddied them up. We mm-hmm. paired them up as buddies and um, just to make sure we didn't leave anyone yes. behind, which we've done. Or you <laughs> How know, quickly did you realize it? Um, a, one time, you know, an hour into a basketball game. Oh, my gosh. That my husband was coaching. <laughs> yes. I looked down and I was like... <gasps> He didn't take him. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't bring him. He must be at home. <laughs> oh, my so, God. luckily, he wasn't, you know, an itty-bitty. Right. But it was, but, yeah, we've done it more yeah. than once. Well, I only and, have three, yeah. and I have done that as well. So, you're not alone, girl. Yeah. So, the, the dynamic is, you know, we have the same family wins. Uh-huh. We're, not, we're not pursuing individual wins, mm. um, which, you know, when you have a big family, people have, like, this stereotype picture in their minds of big families that all play instruments and <laughs> they, they all get along really well sitting around the homeschool table which we have homeschooled and we've done private school and blended model school and public school now yeah um but and they all dress in the same color shirts we don't do any of that like my kids are too forceful and independent to, to have any of that yes but um but we're constantly drumming you know family wins we're pursuing mm. Um, helping one another to win, yeah. and helping one another to thrive and not just serving ourselves. Yeah. So service is a big part. Our four pillars of our family are love, unity, integrity, and service. And mm. so that kind of gives us some guidelines for what we get involved in and just kind of how we, we carry ourselves. Yeah. We expect to be loving. And mm. so, you know, get off of your brother. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. If you, I have developed this saying lately. If you didn't want to be touched, then why would you sit on the couch? Where this is a place. This is not, you know, an individual seat. This yeah. is a group seat. So yes. If you don't want to be touched, go sit on the stool or something. Yeah. Yep. You know? In your own chair. Yes. Yes. So I mean, we're we're a normal family. And, yeah. Um, but also, you know, a normal family kind of on steroids. So. <laughs> so what? I'm guessing just to make life work, Mm -hmm. to save your life, you've got some hacks or some tricks for us. What are some of your favorite, just really life-saving tips for big families? Um, Google. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was looking yesterday for garage organization for the large family. Mm -hmm. And there there are things on there. So um, I do a lot of looking things up. Mm -hmm. um, We early on realized that we were not going to survive this if we didn't delegate well. Yeah. And so 
from pretty early on, um, our children learn how to cook. They learn mm-hmm. how to do laundry. Um, you know, they learn how to organize. I start off teaching them how to vacuum a room well by doing yeah. what I call human vacuuming. <laughs> so they learn to see the dirt. Yes. Pick up things. We're going to human vacuum. Yes. Go. Um, and then they move to real vacuuming because yeah. now they can see the dirt because oh, of human vacuuming. Smart. Um, so we set a menu and assign everyone a breakfast, lunch, and dinner who's old enough to cook. Mm. And... Um, a chore chart and mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff and we don't execute yeah. on any of it perfectly of course not <laughs> but um but it gives us some guidelines so oh yeah the systems in place are the lifesaver and then you gotta are. move with grace in in yeah. the middle of that and I have like goo gobs of calendars I'm a paper calendar yes. person because I have to see the whole thing mm-hmm. um at the same time so I can feel and be able to justify why I'm feeling crazy. Like this is Mm. what our last three weeks have looked like. Yes. This is why mommy's taking this Friday off and going by myself for the whole day. So so that's, I mean, calendars and chore charts and menus with a size. How do you even, I mean, grocery shopping and meal planning, do you have like a gigantic fridge and freezer or are you just always at the store? What does that look like? We have one all refrigerator, refrigerator mm-hmm. in our kitchen. So we kind of use that space that was for a you know normal freezer refrigerator. Yes, and um, and just made that our refrigerator. And we have an upright freezer. And in the garage, we have a little. I don't know. This thing must be like twenty five years old. It was left with the house. Yes, refrigerator, um, the house that we moved into, and uh, that's kind of grocery shopping is. One of my least favorite chores, but since I have been able to delegate some of the cooking responsibilities Mm -hmm. over time, the kids have started to figure out how to make grocery lists. And I now, as of a couple of weeks ago, my twins can drive. And so I'll send two or three of them to the grocery store with my card. And I'm like, that's a life changer. You get it. Let's see what you can do. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to live off of what you got. What and you got. Like rise to the challenge because they're competitive. Uh-huh. And uh, so they're like, okay, well, <laughs> I can do this. And they go and, and they get it. They think it's fun now because they just yeah. started driving. Yes. Um, it'll wear off probably. It'll wear off. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoy it while you can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How do they do with their rooms? Is it like several bunk up together or girls' side of the house or guys? Or how? Do, what does that look like? Yeah, we have all, all the girls in one room and all the guys in another room in bunks. And yeah. they just kind of, and the little the little one kind of moves around. Like he just turned five. And so sometimes he wants to sleep in the boys' room. Sometimes he wants to be with the girls. <laughs> and then sometimes he wants to be right next door to mom and dad. So he's yeah. kind of our, our roaming child. Yes. But... Um, for the most part, they, you know, they're, it's guys in one room, girls in one room. And it's, you know, we are so busy that all of that is just like where we sleep. Mm-hmm, like their mm-hmm. rooms are just where they sleep. We don't yeah. even really want them just hanging out up there because we want to come downstairs, hang out as a family, yeah, enjoy each other's fellowship because these, we can feel that the time is fleeting. I know. We graduated one. Next year, we'll graduate another. The next year after that, we'll graduate two more. So what we have experienced for these last, you know, 18 years or so is very quickly changing. In five years, half of my children will be 
out of the house, or at least adults. Yeah, so, it's so crazy. It's Our oldest is 17, so she'll start her senior year. Kind of already has started some online classes this summer. But, yeah, there's something about when that oldest one gets to, you know, where they're about to finish high school, that the clock just really starts ticking loudly, I think. Because yeah. you realize in your head how fast it seems like you got here. And then the mm-hmm. kids behind, you're like, it's just a matter of just a handful of years and yeah. you know, they're going to be there too. So. It's so different. Yeah. The house is so much quieter when several of them are working with my husband in the yes. camping ministry that we run now. And so at home, um, when I'm there with some of the little ones, it's, it's this eerie quiet yeah. that, and I still, you know, it's still like five kids, but yes. it's a strange quietness that, um, is new. It's a new season for our family. Mm-hmm. So the older ones working or, you know, playing their sports or mm-hmm. whatever. So it's well, the fun thing about where you are and because you have such a large family is that when, you know, right when you start to feel that like true empty nesting, you'll probably be getting some grandkids running around. Yes, so, yes, you know, exactly. <laughs> and your house will be real full. And I'm looking forward to I that. It's so funny. I, I am, uh, I'm 42, but I am like, Dreaming of grandchildren. I, I agree. I'm so excited about the next generation. Yes. And um, passing down a legacy of just deep love for Jesus. That's yeah. and, and doing that with my grandchildren yeah. um, in conjunction with their parents. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just dream about that. I'm excited about it. I agree. It's. I'm just, I'm around your age. I'm 45. So I'm in that same, you know, and it was very strange because a few years ago, I, I can really remember when I think that that switched in my heart mm-hmm. and we had, so our son, our youngest is 12. So he was probably, maybe it was just two years ago. He was around 10 and um, I had a couple of friends that had surprise pregnancies like in their early to mid forties. And my husband and I just had this conversation when I, I was like, what would we do? You know? <laughs> and, and I realized for the first time ever that I was like, I would be so excited about a grandkid at the right time when yeah. my children yes. are, yes. you know, in the right season. But if it was like a child of ours, God would have to really like get us to the place of excitement, you know, right. because, right. you know, with your youngest being 10, it's like you're a decade away from having a baby. And so just to think of starting all the way over at that point. Mm-hmm. And I, and I thought this is such a weird conversation because never in my life until now what I thought I'd be talking about, Hey, I'm excited to have grandkids someday. Right, and then right. as the years go by, I get more and more excited, you know, at the right time, but you know, we get more and more excited. And, and like I told you, I have nieces and nephews that are younger than my kids. So I get this little practice with feeling what it feels like to love somebody else's kids so yeah. much, you know, that's yeah. your family and you just get to love them and spoil them a little and, you know, sing to them and rock them and, and everyone keeps telling me, well, grandkids are like a hundred times better than that. So That's what I keep hearing <laughs> and I observing my mom, I'm inclined to believe it. Yeah. I don't think I'll be as fun as her, Oh, but, um, but I, I am looking forward to those days. So I have a super fun mom too. So I, we've got a, a big shoes to fill, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about the ministry I'll do, but before that you mentioned something just kind of in passing, but I'd love to, to circle back. You talked about taking like your time for yourself. And when we talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago, that was one thing you mentioned was that you have really been um, taking seriously the Sabbath heart and that the restful seasons. And my goodness, as a mom of 10, I can imagine that that takes a lot of planning and intentionality. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk to you about how did how did you get to that point where you were like, I've got to rest? And then um, practically, how do you do that? What does yeah. that look like? Yeah. Um, 
mom was a good example of that. And I think some other people in my family, and it wasn't based on Sabbath rest necessarily, mm-hmm. but I, I can remember one specific season as a high school student where, I mean, I was just under crushing or what felt like to me at that time, crushing pressure and, you know, lots of struggles um, relationally and in school and just my own identity and all of that. And I just remember one morning my mom saying, um, you're staying you're staying home today. We're going to take the subway into D.C. We're going to go shopping. We're going to eat. Mm. And um, we're just going to relax and hang out. And for me, that's a marker when I think back, prioritizing relationship mm. uh, and um, prioritizing decompressing when it's needed. Yeah. And um, I asked permission for years to like get some time away. Like sometimes I would just get so overwhelmed with the load of parenting such a large Mm -hmm. family along with ministry and all the other stuff. I would get overwhelmed in my husband because I'm actually, my personality is one that requires um, silence and solitude (laughs) and time for reflection. And I don't get a whole lot of that. Um, And so he would send me away to a hotel for like a day and a half or, you know, two days, just like a couple of times a year just Mm. to decompress. So that became a part of our rhythm. And then I recognized I needed even more. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I kept asking permission sort of Mm -hmm. from my family, like, you know, I kind of need some quiet. And then I got sick for about Mm. nine months and it took, a while to recover. It was just kind of this mystery illness. But mm-hmm. I think that a lot of women experience this because it's like piled up residual stress. Yeah. And um, and I got to the point where I was just so weak and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to actually pull through this. Mm-hmm. And I stopped asking permission. I stopped waiting until it was convenient. Mm-hmm. And I just started taking all day Fridays off. And um, it has since jumped around to different days. My need wasn't the same, but for months and months. And I would go, and I was so overstimulated. Like, I didn't want to walk into a coffee shop and hear music and people and clanking, you know, Mm -hmm. silverware. I just, I would sit in my car and fall asleep (laughs) for a nap in the parking lot somewhere. Um, And then over time, the rest started building up. And I was able to just, you know, go on walks and start exercising more. And so... For me, I think that, you know, God's word teaches us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And, um, and so I was loving my neighbor, but I wasn't taking the time that I needed to replenish so that I was better. And Mm -hmm. every time that I, it became my kid's favorite day too, because they'd spend time with dad or, you know, the older ones would babysit the younger ones. Um, and then I'd come back cheerful and excited yes. and energized. And so we really recognize that that's a part of the rhythm that keeps our family going. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, but so. over the last 20, let's see, 24 summers that I've been doing camping ministry yes. um, work in the summers, um, I think I've, this is my second summer that I've not worked and. um I've done 22 years, uh, 22 summers wow. doing camping ministry, and I've taken two summers off, and this is one of them. Wow. So um, that is just, it's just 
taking time to restore our home mm-hmm. and to, you know, patch things that are broken. Yes. And just to listen quietly, unrushed to what God has to say so that I'm filled up for the next season. Because mm-hmm. I, I have no problem going 110 miles an hour yeah. for a long stretch. Um, but um, in order to be able to do that effectively, I've got to have those times where I pull away. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just, I really encourage moms. So practically I, um, I'm a reader. So, you know, I will take, I will read a book and I will take the time and I'm like, okay, kids, this is the quiet hour of the day. You can mm-hmm. get a book. You can't get on a screen. Mm-hmm. You can't talk. You can go to sleep or you can <laughs> read a book. And while they're quiet, I read or I'll take a nap. Yeah. And, um, I started that when I, when my oldest two were little, because they were, my oldest is super energetic, like his parents. In fact, I think he's got us squared. <laughs> and so it was just important to take time to rest, just to survive yes. and be able to enjoy life. So Yeah. It's funny that you said that about your, the illness kind of bringing you to that place. And I do feel like as women, the all, I feel like one of the only times we actually can give ourselves permission to rest or take a day off is if we're actually sick, you know, yeah. if something's really wrong. And even then, a lot of times we push through. But once we had our second daughter, um, and all three of my babies were C-section babies. And so honestly, as weird as it is, I'm kind of grateful because of the recovery from a C-section is pretty crazy. You can't, right, you right. can't do things. Yeah. You can't even, you're not even supposed to lift a gallon of milk when it's yeah. full. So, you know, all the daily like mom household stuff had to be put aside or else I would re-injure my body. And so that was like what you're saying for me was like a forced way to step out of it and right. just focus on my tiny new baby and bond and mm-hmm. let people help, which is not easy. Right. It gets easier, but it wasn't <laughs> at that time. And, uh, you know, letting my husband have those sweet times and, you know, friends bring meals and, and then just, I think it started the mindset of everything will be okay. Like these messes will be here tomorrow yeah. or this doesn't have to be done perfectly or, right. you know, like that started that. And I'm really thankful and it's something I've had to continue to relearn, but, um, as, life has gotten busier and the kids have gotten older. That was something I've done as well, whether it was, there was a season when my husband didn't work Fridays. And so that was my day off right. and I homeschooled, but that was my day. And I could, like you said, go sit in my car and do nothing or get a hair done or, you know, whatever, but just yeah. those little mom things that you have to do. And it kind of bounces around, but it's, I, I'm like you, I noticed that when I don't take those quiet moments, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm burning out. Yeah. I'm short with people. I'm exhausted. And permission to take a nap. I'm glad you said sometimes you just take a nap because for whatever reason, early on, I was like, oh, I can't just take a nap. You know, that's, that's not very, um, you know, that's not getting anything done or whatever. And then you said that in your car and it made me think of a my daughter. One of the times I think I've really embarrassed her. She had gone into dance class and I had gone to TJ Maxx to buy some new throw pillows. And I got back in my car to, to wait for her and I was listening to a podcast and I was like, I am just so tired. So I got in the back seat with one of those pillows and took a nap. And she came out and she was like, Mom, what are you doing? She was so embarrassed. I was like, Hey, I had 30 extra minutes and I was really tired. So, listeners, you have permission to take you a nap. You have permission. If you need it, take one. Oh, my goodness. Those boundaries are so important. And especially with, with the work you're doing, mm-hmm. mothering. And then partnering with your husband, 
with your ministry. Yes. So I would like to talk about that. So you guys started out working, doing camp ministries mm-hmm. together way back when you were first dating. And then has he just stayed in those roles? Well, we were with the national ministry before we came to Oklahoma. Okay. Um, we were in Tulsa for a couple of years and then we moved to Branson. My husband worked with Kids Across America and Canicut oh. Camps yeah. for 18 years. Oh, wow. And then we stepped out of that ministry and then just took a year of rest, mm-hmm. um, keeping up with teenagers. And we yeah. were working with 15 to 18 year olds wow. over the course of a long period of time. So you really get to see some of the social trends that happen with that specific age group mm-hmm. when you do it over a long period of time. Um, and so we, we did that. And once we stepped out, we just kind of explored, like, you know, do we want to go into business? We have a big family now. Do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? And we heard about the ministry of Shiloh from the very beginning, Shiloh Camp in Oklahoma, because the uh, founding executive director actually worked under my husband at Kids Across America. Okay. And Shiloh was modeled in some ways after Kids Across America, but there it was an overnight camp and um, for a week and kids traveled from Boston and California and Florida and all over the nation versus um, a community-based camp. And Mm -hmm. it's actually a day camp, but we heard about it from from the beginning um, 20 years ago. And then Jason Mirakatani who founded it, he was in a terrible car wreck uh, lost his wife, mm. almost lost his own life, and um, and they had a little girl who's the same age as my oldest. Mm. And um, during the course of him recovering and kind of stepping out of his role, uh, Shiloh went through a series of executive directors, and then then after we had stepped out of our role um, in Missouri, mm-hmm. then um, because we lived in Tulsa for two years, then we moved to Missouri for nine. Mm-hmm. Um, they came and, and shared the vision for going forward with Shiloh. And it was just the right time and the right thing to do. And um, so we came and, and uh, we were looking forward to living in a city and yes. raising our children in this environment and still continuing to do Um, ministry as a family Mm -hmm. that incorporates the things we're passionate about, which is kids and being outdoors and adventure Mm -hmm. and um, the gospel, sharing the gospel. So we came here and uh, 10 years ago and started our role with Shiloh. So we took about a year off, but we've been in camping ministry almost all of our adult lives. That's amazing. So is Shiloh a summer only camp or is it year round programming? We have um, summer weeks of summer that where we do camp, day camping, and then we have a discipleship program with a group of teenagers called Ascend, where we take them on a retreat and then we meet monthly for discipleship and accountability and teaching and kind of expanding their horizons. Um, my husband and I are passionate about um, training up and inspiring, equipping, and launching the next generation of leaders. Mm. And so the work that we're doing um, year round is with, uh, we have about 400, four to 500 kids that come through camp in the summertime. And then we have a smaller group that we take through more intensive discipleship during the year. And are those kids that you're discipling typically from the camp that you've met and you've gotten to know through that, or are they, they could be from completely different places? They're from all over. Our demographic focus in the day camp during the summer is Northeast Oklahoma City. Okay. 
And then for the Ascend program, we have a real desire. Both of us are passionate about um, unity, about building bridges Mm -hmm. and bringing, I love bringing people together who might not normally Mm -hmm. do life together. They might not ever even meet. Our city is one where you can really stay cloistered in a particular you know, wealth class or ethnicity group yeah. or whatever, even in, even generationally, you yeah. know, stick with just your people that are close to your own age. We love bringing people together. So our SIN students are from all over the map in terms of their geographic location throughout the city, their socioeconomic background, um, their ethnic background. They're, they're from all over the place and we bring them together. And our desire was to see 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, them leading in different places all over the city and really leading as servants, Mm -hmm. um, but advocating for one another. And this network that they've built relationally will tighten as they get older and they can Mm -hmm. advocate for one another and um, be an encouragement to one another in their different spheres of influence. So mm. that was kind of the vision behind it, along with it. just loving on teens that yes. are, you know, at that awkward place of, you know, being really strongly opinionated and uncertain as to where in the world they're going. <laughs> yes. It, it's such a, such a special and pivotal time to be able to have that relationship and to be trusted by a teenager if they let you in and you get yeah. that opportunity to be a voice, you know, that that's such an honor and a big deal. And God, I mean, he uses that. I know you yes. mentioned that memory of your mom was a pivotal thing. And I'm sure you can think of other women. I, I have memories of just conversations or a moment or when a woman let me do something, you know, serve in some way. And it, as a teenager and you realize I'm kind of going to the next level or, you know, right. like they, they trust me now, or yes. maybe I'm grown up and, you know, there's those conversations that really do shape you. And there's mm-hmm. those, those people that pour in, whether they know they are or not, you know, yeah. so I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. You're welcome. You. I know with Shiloh, you guys need quite a few volunteers and, and we had at our church, they announced that a few weeks ago when summer was starting. And so would you mind telling our listeners just some of the ways that people can connect or um, volunteer or what are the needs that you guys have? Yeah, we have multiple positions that we fill for the summers. Um, we have teen volunteers that serve as what we call CITs, which is a counselor in training. We have older teens and college students who are counselors. So they lead a different family group is what we call them, which is a group of about 10 campers um, at a time, along with the assistance that they get from their CIT. Um, We have, uh, we don't have a dining hall. Uh, Shiloh is on 40 acres and there's a beautiful pond and there's a ropes course and a climbing wall and a zip line and all kinds of fun activities, but we don't have a dining hall. And actually, this it works better um, for our ultimate goal, which is bringing people together. Yeah. Um, different churches will volunteer for what we call Crew 5-2, okay. based on five loaves and two fish. Oh, cool. And so they will bring meals for the day, and they will serve it, and then they'll clean it up and take it, you know, take everything away. So we can just strictly work with the kids. We're not trying to cook meals mm-hmm. and, you know, do all of that. Um, so we need groups that will volunteer to cover a day or a week of the summer for meals. Um, and then there's mowing that has to be done and mm-hmm. weeding and cleaning up stuff yeah. and painting. And I mean, 
if someone wants to volunteer, there's a place to do it. Mm. <laughs> there's a way to do it out at Shiloh. But it's such a neat opportunity because it's it's just, again, an opportunity to get to spend some time with people that you might not normally get to meet. Mm-hmm. And um, that has built such strong relationships. Having done this for 10 years in Oklahoma City and in the metro, because we have kids that come from Northeast Oklahoma City, that's kind of our target area, but kids come from Guthrie, from Moore, from Norman, from Yukon, I mean, just all huh. over the metro and get to know one another. And so then we'll, you know, we're running into their parents all over the city. Yeah. My husband and I went for like a getaway, just a staycation at a local hotel and we walk in and both of the people working at the desk, desk had had children who had been campers at Shiloh and they didn't even know that about each other. And so now they have this shared experience and I just love that. That's so cool. I love it. It's been a really fun experience. Well, I would love to get connected in some way. So we'll, I'll definitely follow up with you in the future about yeah, that. And seeing, yeah, how we can help with the meals or, you know, with our teenagers, just something. Because my head is kind of spinning here with all the, <laughs> the different opportunities. And I'm, I'm excited about those opportunities that, that you guys have out there. Um, if a group was going to come and provide meals, so how many campers are we talking about? Just to, so we can kind of put numbers and help. On Monday that. through lunch on Friday, there are a hundred campers, okay. and then some uh, churches or nonprofits. We've even had some families that have just kind of taken ownership of one week. Oh, and, that's neat. Um, you know, they've provided catering or whatever. But Friday night, uh, the campers will perform for their parents. They get to um, specialize in an arts specialty, so cool. they'll do choir or dance or. Um, we have a ukulele class, How a spoken cute. word class, just different arts classes, painting, crafts. And that evening, on Friday evening, the last day of camp, we invite the parents, grandparents, siblings to come and have dinner. Mm-hmm. And and then they'll see the performance. And uh, my husband speaks briefly. And then, you know, we send them on and get ready yeah. for the next group to come the following Monday. And so that night, there's usually around 300. Okay. So it's a bigger, yeah, that's yeah. a bigger group. One wow. Week. Um, so the way I met you was you were on a panel that came to Council Road and you guys shared about racial reconciliation and just a little shout out to you because you were the only female on the panel <laughs> and I was so proud and happy that, that you were up there representing um, the females in the room. But <laughs> that, that was a fun, a fun night. It was, it really was good. I felt like it was eye opening and I felt like there was a great response from the community that came and of course you were so well-spoken and just everyone who shared had really moving and I think impactful things to share. And through that, I, so I got the understanding of what all you and your husband are doing in the city. And I mm-hmm. feel like you guys have such a good big picture mm-hmm. of what's going on across our city. And mm-hmm. I would love for you to share really specifically, I would love for you to share with me as just one woman, one mom of three kids what are some things that we can do as individuals to help Brit to be bridge builders? We have a real heart for um, building bridges. My youngest son's middle name is actually Bridger. It's such cool. a family call. It's not just something my husband and I are interested in. Our mm-hmm. children have been involved in things all over the city. Now, I'm, um, but the practical side of things, one, I just think educating ourselves is becoming good listeners. I see people having, for instance, your church, which was so courageous to have um, a panel come and have a discussion on unity in the body of Christ and what is the state of race relations in our city and how do we 
move the ball forward so that our city becomes better than it is today mm -hmm. for our children in the future. And um, so having those courageous conversations where, where we are willing to listen, and I mean really listen empathetically yeah. and not defensively, which usually happens around the dinner table. Yeah. I mean, you can stand on the corner and kind of, you know, fuss at one another, or you can sit down and break bread together yeah. and do it the way you just did it which was over a meal. And so I really encourage people to have meals with people um, that come from a different background than they do. And then to be willing to be vulnerable and ask questions and share their own stories and listen to one another's stories um, with open hearts and open minds. Like that's a one simple, practical way. I mean, we all have to eat, so <laughs> we can do that with someone else. Yeah. Um, and I just see so many places in scripture where there were like these freak out moments, but Jesus made it kind of normal mm. by adding food to it. So he raises a girl from the dead and then it's time to eat together. Or, you know, he's resurrected and they see him on the seashore and he's like cooking fish for them. And so it's yeah. like he just makes something that's so like frightening or potentially traumatic into something that's just peaceful because we're just we're eating together and so that would be one um, just really practical way I mean there's um, books that can be read I, I but I am a person like I want to hear your story and I want to hear the stories of the people so the books that I read on this subject are really the lives of people that I get to meet mm -hmm. and hear their experiences and um, and then as a mother I've run into things just because of the experiences of my children, things mm -hmm. that I couldn't control or protect them from yeah. or words that have been said or actions or, you know, stereotyping. I have six sons. Mm -hmm. um, and so raising six African-American boys yeah. in the climate that we live in yeah. nationally right now poses some, some specific challenges yeah. in walking through that with my children, but also honestly with my friends who are from all kinds of different backgrounds, yeah. um, you know, sharing those stories honestly and walking alongside one another mm -hmm. through those difficult things, you know, is, is something that has grown me because honestly, I did not think a lot about race until I moved to, to the Midwest because mm -hmm. the doctors that I went to, they were black and, you know, there were wealthy black people and there were, you know, I just, I saw people of color in all strata of society when I grew up. So it wasn't, I remember hearing an African woman talk about, she never thought about race growing up. Race wasn't an issue because mm. it was a homogenous environment. Yeah. And, um, and that's the way it was for me. When you get to a place where it's less homogenous, um, you know, I really did not experience being a minority until I moved to the Midwest and what that meant and mm. how that felt. And I was an adult and I yeah. was, you know, and so it was a different entry point for me. And so I can understand at times when people feel very uncomfortable having a conversation about um, racial reconciliation. You know, they might not feel like there's really a problem or maybe you're being oversensitive because it's easy to be that way when it's not you. Yeah. You aren't the one experiencing it or you haven't actually seen it, yeah. but our relationships help us to see it. And so I just encourage people to mm -hmm. pursue authentic relationships with someone that's different mm -hmm. from you. So those are mm -hmm. a couple of so practical good. things. Wow. I love that. Thank you yeah. so much. That's so helpful. Um, 
the one other ministry I wanted you to talk about is United Voice mm-hmm. and your and your involvement there. Mm-hmm. Do you have time to share about that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> one more I thing. I just cleared the calendar and I'm having a blast, <laughs> so I'm in no hurry. Okay. Um, yes, United Voice is it's actually not a ministry; it's a media um, collaboration okay. between the different news stations and. Um, GMs of the different TV stations in the Oklahoma City Metro and um, news directors and so and also some of the anchors so they have agreed to work together to um, share stories that promote meaningful conversations about race in the state of Oklahoma okay and so it's not necessarily a, um, a ministry effort but I believe it has a massive impact absolutely telling stories um, and promoting empathy and understanding and unity, which yeah. is kind of my thing. Absolutely. So. <laughs> totally your but, thing. Um, so we have, um, all of the major news networks have agreed sort of an umbrella um, logo for United Voice Oklahoma, which is a subsidiary of Stronger Together. Okay. Um, and so it, um, we've done several news stories. You can see some of those and check those news stories out. But we decided that we wanted as a state and as news outlets to guide the narrative around issues of race. We were hearing stories a couple of years ago, massive, you know, the things that happened in Ferguson and even in Tulsa and other places around the country. Um, There was one perspective on that. And it usually was a divisive, combative perspective. And we wanted to share this unique, um, rich heritage of Oklahoma, but also continue to move the ball down the field of leaving it better than we found it. Mm. So just sharing stories and and practicing listening to one another better um, is kind of the goal. And then having conversations. So we do a lot of things around the dinner table. Yeah. We host and where we can gather and just have provide a safe environment for people to have an uncomfortable conversation <laughs> and hopefully get a little bit more comfortable with yeah. each other and and with having um, the conversation as well. Mm. Wow. Well, it makes me want to come to your dinner table. Yay, come, come. I'll feed you good. We, we feed um, an army <laughs> every I mean, meal It would just be house. a drop of the bucket. Just add a few it more. Really <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. I really am. And I think, honestly, just this incur- this conversation encourages me that, like you said, it doesn't need to be something that is awkward or uncomfortable. Like if we are sisters in Christ mm-hmm. and we have the common goal of unity, then we should be able to, to talk to one another openly. And obviously I'm a sharer of stories. I love stories too. And so that's my heartbeat is just to sit across from somebody and hear their story. And you're absolutely right that when we hear a story, it just takes all the pretense away. It takes all of, you know, the assumptions, it breaks down the barriers. And so when you can get to that either one-on-one or small group, um, or reading, you know, like you said, even reading a great memoir of someone who is different than mm-hmm. than us, then it it really does allow you to um, kind of walk in their shoes for a minute, you know, right. while you're listening to them tell their story. And for me, I found that as that person sharing their story, it helps me to recognize maybe false thinking that I had, mm-hmm. and then I remove it from anyone else in that demographic. You know right. what I mean, so all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that I was stereotyping or thinking in this way. And now 
this woman or this man has just shared their story, it's like your eyes are opened. And so you realize, well, other people that I might've been making assumptions about, those are not true either. Right. And and so the more we can talk one-on-one and, and get that personal experience, I mean, we're all better for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's a, it's a very adult thing to do. Unfortunately, our children sometimes do it better than us. I agree. It's an adult thing to do to take the time even to listen to people that you disagree with, for sure. you know, on very foundational beliefs, yeah. but to hear them and to regard them as fellow human beings made in the image of God, yeah. who um, we're to love. We're, he's called us to even love our enemies. Yeah. So um, taking the time to, instead of making a person that's something distant and is representative of an idea to actually mm-hmm. understand up close. This is a human being. Yeah. We don't agree on everything. And my husband yeah. and I don't agree on exactly. everything. But I love him. I live exactly. with him. You know. Um, and we're working it out. Twenty one almost twenty one years <laughs> and counting. So, you know, we um, especially as believers, need to lead in being an example of that versus, mm-hmm. you know, the world being the one instructing us on how to do that. Jesus's instruction is more than adequate to, um, if we follow his ways to lead us into that kind of, um, uniting and redemptive relationship Absolutely. with people, even if we don't agree with them or, or we haven't walked in their shoes, but, um, we can still love them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you mentioned our children and my perspective might be skewed, but I do feel like our children are doing a better job about it. I feel like anytime I've started to have a conversation about race or religious differences or ethnic, you know, just any, Mm -hmm. they are very quick to say, we're all people like it. That's not, they're not different than me or, and I would love to hear your perspective, but do you feel like as a whole, we're making progress and we're doing better? I know we can always do even better. Um, but from, from where I see things, I do feel like the next generation has um, a much more unified Mm -hmm. uh, heartbeat, I guess. Yeah, I, I do see that. Um, I see the next generation expects I mean, statistically speaking, they expect diversity. You know, they expect to be around um, people that are different from them, you know. And I think it's just a part of this global society we live in now where we can see the the thoughts and opinions and the faces of people that are across the world instantly all the time. And that's kind of what they're growing up with. So they expect to see people um, from different backgrounds and hear their ideas and their experiences and their stories because Mm -hmm. this generation isn't just, even in marketing, they're not just looking at um, a product. They are looking at a general lifestyle context that that product is related to. Mm -hmm. And so even telling good stories is the way that marketing um, sells. And so, and if there isn't people young people don't believe that you're credible if you are disconnected from the reality that we live in a global world mm. and that people from all different backgrounds have something valuable to contribute. They they almost shut their ears if they don't see that. And I'm not mm. sure our older generations always recognize that about younger people, but it is a it is going to come to bear a whole lot more in coming years as they move more into uh, their economic 
you know, independence yeah. and influence and yeah. whatnot in the workplace. So mm-hmm. we'll see and hear a lot more about it. We do right by them when we prepare them for yeah. that and expose them and, you know, encourage them and guide them um, and also set a good example yeah. for them. Yeah, they, they definitely take, I feel like, they take in more of what they see us do. You know, they definitely are teaching and our training and our words are important, but we absolutely have to model that mm-hmm. consistency. You know, yeah. teens can spot inconsistency oh. quicker than, than anything. <laughs> they can sniff it out really yeah. fast. <laughs> they totally can. Oh, man, I've just loved our time together, and I, I so appreciate your wisdom. I would love for you to, just as we're closing up, to leave us with a couple of things. First of all, I'd love to hear just what you're working on. I know you mentioned you were um, possibly going to do some writing. I don't know if that's even anything that you're at liberty to talk about yet. Um, So kind of leave us with what you're working on and then maybe just leave any last encouragement that you have for our listeners, whether it be in family or whether it just be related to unity and into our city. I I love the focus of this podcast on beauty and what beautiful things are happening in our lives. Mm -hmm. And I would say that for me, um, something beautiful that I'm experiencing right now is um, the beauty of rest. Mm -hmm. I want to encourage those listening to this podcast that you have permission to rest because it's the example that God set for us and he didn't even need rest. It's not like he was tired. He's omnipotent, Mm -hmm. but um, he, he set in order Um, rest into the rhythm of our lives as Mm -hmm. a part of what is best for us because he loves us. And so I am taking time to taste my food instead (laughs) of just shoving it down and going to the next task or to um, look at this amazing sky Mm -hmm. that God has created today. Like, what does it look like today? And, you know, we live in a world that's constantly rushing and constantly noisy. And, you know, you can just consume media and busyness and noise and rushing 24 seven until you just, you know, fall out. Yep. And, um, I want to encourage others to experience the wonder and to allow wonder to seep into their souls. Like when they were little kids, because Mm -hmm. we, we do belong to our father in heaven and he is wonderful. Yes. And to experience that wonder. And um, as far as stuff that I'm working on, you know, I love I love telling stories and I've always enjoyed reading and writing. And I have a couple of book ideas. I have no idea how to start <laughs> with it. Um, I have some friends who have more experience that are like sending stuff my way yeah. um, that I'm going to start looking at in another couple of weeks after yes. I've just taken some time. Yep. To let the wonder seep into my soul, mm-hmm. and then, um, and then I'll turn to, you know, after my sponge has been filled, yes. then I'll squeeze that out on some, <laughs> on the keyboard and see what God does with it. Mm, well, I look forward to anything that you have up your sleeve to write. I think that'll be amazing. I'd love to hear and, and read you. what you've got. I'm a thank reader you. too, so I love it. Um, well, again, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you for, for having me. It's been great. Well, I know our listeners are going to be so encouraged by your words and by your story. And I hope this is not our last conversation together. Same here. here. Thank you. You're welcome. And listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We really do hope that you are encouraged, Um, especially here as we've closed out and Scotia talked about rest. I want to encourage you to take that rest, especially here in the summertime. Uh, Some of our calendars are a little more free 
give yourself permission to soak in the wonder, to soak in the beauty, to soak in all that God has done around you and is doing in your heart and in your life. Take time to reflect uh, take time to spend with him and just take time to enjoy this uniquely beautiful story that God's writing in your life. Thank you for listening to Uniquely Beautiful Stories with Heather McInear. Share this podcast with a friend and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now go live your own story. 